0: Welcome back to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. It is Thursday, February 15th. I'm Tim O'Malley, joined by John Bryce of Irish Illustrated and footballscoop.com and Pete Sampson from The Athletic. Tim Priester will rejoin the show next week. And guys, for two months, probably the beginning of December, we have been hammering home the point that the Irish coaching staff could not be considered intact until Super Bowl week after the Super Bowl. Next December, I don't think we're going to need to hammer that home quite as much. People should be getting used to it now as... uh, Chris O'Leary chooses the NFL path, joining Jim Harbaugh's Los Angeles Chargers.
1: Yeah, and um, as we outlined really pretty clearly last Thursday on the pod, not a surprise. Um, I think O'Leary had initially rebuffed the Chargers' advances, but he has a long history with Jesse Minter, the defensive coordinator. Chargers came back, I think, with um, not just more money, but but just a, a pitch that I think Appealed to Chris and, and allayed some concerns that he might have had, and and there you go. It's, it's not an uncommon move. I've uh, made the point in some football scoop work and some other uh, media appearances that more so than ever before, the competition from college coaches going to the NFL for myriad reasons, but none more prominent than the transfer portal or NIL, is greater than ever before. And I've talked to college coaches who are making four to $500,000 as assistants that are trying to get the entry level assistant position coach jobs in the NFL that pay between 150 and 200,000 per year. They're voluntarily seeking and frankly competing their butts off for these jobs.
2: Yeah, it's the uh, the lack of recruiting um, and the all football all the time elements of it are those are lifestyle concerns. Um, and I, I don't begrudge anyone from going, going that route. Um, it's, this has been the weird, as it hesitated to say, it's been the weirdest carousel ever, but like, I, I think we're at five college sitting head coaches who voluntarily left their jobs to be assistants. Um, some within college one today, I didn't think Georgia state was going to pop up on this podcast, but, their head coach just left to go to South Carolina to be an assistant coach. You're just like, what's, what's going on in the world? Uh, So Chris O'Leary turning pro is just normal business. Um, You know, and it it wouldn't surprise me if there was another one out there, but um, you know, I think from O'Leary's point of view, I think we talked about it maybe on last week's show. I always thought he was not always, but certainly in the last year, it's like this guy is a very, very good developer of talent Um, and in the NFL. That's 100 percent of your job in college. It's maybe, I don't know, 33 percent of your job. Um, So it might it could be a very, very good fit for him uh, in Los Angeles.
1: Pete, I didn't realize you were in the uh, football scoop staff slack, but um, clearly you're parroting (laughs) our commentary from this morning because I'm just going to uh, read what I wrote at at 9.03 as we were working on the Sean Elliott story. And I just said, uh, what an absolutely wild-ass carousel, this this go-around. And that's the, the third Group of Five head coach to take a Power Five assistant job. Kane Womack left a great situation at South Alabama mo linguist left buffalo which i think mo was was staring down a a tough year but also to go to alabama you got sean elliott who took georgia state to bowl games five of seven years including this past season he won four of those bowl games he leaves to go back to be an assistant at south carolina practice
2: had already started there
1: (laughs) yeah it started two days ago and um then you still got jeff halfley leaving boston college to be an nfl coordinator and chip kelly to me the most stunning of all even though not stunning if you know the dynamics of that relationship chip kelly walking away from approximately 6.1 6.2 million per year as ucla head coach to go be uh offensive coordinator for his former pupil ryan day at ohio state just just a wild time but again emblematic of cho- coaches choosing quality of life um uh, where they can and coaches choosing not to recruit where they can
0: Yeah, we actually were going to have a question on this, but I was positive we'd touch on it. In segment one, somebody mentioned Notre Dame seems like a pretty safe feeling right now compared to what's going going on around them in the coaching carousel. I mean, Chris O'Leary going to the NFL is the natural order of things. When we heard about Chip Kelly on Friday, we were at Notre Dame interviews. I had to do a double take like, wait, Chip Kelly, the head coach, is doing that? It just none of it made any sense, of course, until, of course, Bryce mentions that. If you know the dynamic there, it's a little different. But now the question is, does the carousel close officially for Notre Dame in the next week and a half? I, th- I
1: think the I think the carousel, other than some analyst movement, yeah. I think the carousel is fairly closed for the Irish. Um they're they're able to hang on to Max Bulla. He's gonna get a full-time job. I think that's incredibly significant. Uh, Boston College was prepared to hire Max and put him in a position of seniority on its defensive staff. Bill O'Brien really values Max Bulla. So um, you don't want to lose Chris O'Leary because I think he's elite. But you almost lost him a year ago to the Ravens, and so in losing him now, you still keep a guy that you believe has incredibly good runway in front of him. Um, Mickens, he's not he's not going anywhere. He's been rewarded with contract extension and stuff. So um, unless unless it was Dylan landing somewhere in the NFL and most right. of those prime spots – I think have filled themselves out. So really it's just sort of fine tuning Notre Dame's analyst staff, and, and they will get some help on the defensive side of the ball to work more with the the secondary while Max takes over, officially takes over the linebackers.
0: And Pete, you've said this a couple of times, um, like the Clark Lee staying in Notre Dame for three years and as a successful coordinator was strange. It's they, they usually move on. Al Golden staying for a third year and, and probably longer now is a boon to Notre Dame. That's Chris O'Leary leaving. It, it's, just what has to happen mike micken's staying. The these are all i'm not saying you rate them over o'leary but it's, it's amazing they're only losing one of those guys that has been around that long
2: yeah it's a you if you can hang on to your top coordinators uh and you have to shuffle your position coaches then you take that 10 times out of 10 if you're a head coach or a college fo- running a college football program so this is it this is a, a good amount of turnover um You know when you look at what goes on at some other places i mean alabama with nick saban that was almost like they would get eight new assistants every year um i think freeman values continuity which i know he talked about the day after stanford and then you know didn't but like that's this is a good amount of turnover i mean it's like if if you're if you're not losing coordinators, what happens with your position coaches, I'm not saying it's not important, but it's like there are a lot of good position coaches out there. Like before Chris O'Leary was hired, he was an analyst. Before Max Bulla gets promoted, he was an analyst. Like th- that happens a ton of different places. You got young coaches who can coach a position or and you have good personalities you feel like can be recruiters, that's a that's a good chance to take um, you know, whether it's O'Leary or Bulla.
0: NFL combine invites there were eight if we had to guess the eight we all would guess them so would everybody listening and would probably guess the ninth who was unfortunately left out in Thomas Harper I had a feeling he would not be invited when Notre Dame is that deep list but very quickly for our conversation Hart Estime, Alt Fisher, Jean-Baptiste Bertrand who definitely I think would have been invited anyway but certainly cemented that invitation uh, with his college bowl game practices and uh, Maris Leofau and Cam Hart. Best news there is Cam Hart. Um, I think it was reported after our podcast by Tim Priester that it's a stinger. Uh, a lot of people saw that happen in the senior bowl. Harper, that's the one that hurts, right? I, I feel like not that yeah. he would necessarily be invited, but if you're looking at our list of Notre Dame players, I mean, Thomas Harper was hitting that number 10 on the entire team range, 10, 11 on the entire team range. And, and that's on a really good defense too
1: yeah and there were a couple of programs out there that maybe got eleven or twelve guys, so it's not like there was a hard cap at eight. Um, I think that's what maybe makes it a little more disappointing, but um you know it's it's super competitive, and there are a ton of guys every year that get left out of the combine that find a different way to um, get drafted or make a team
2: yeah it's I mean, you do feel bad for Harper when you but opt you out it. of your bowl game and then you don't get a combine invite it's kind of like, well, what was the point of that? Um, I think Michigan had 18 guys go to the combine. So, yeah, I mean, Notre well, Dame, they're
0: going to dwarf Notre Dame because of what just happened. Of course, yeah, but exactly.
2: Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I thought Harper seems like somebody, if I was a pro scout, I'd, I'd like to see work out on the same field on the same track as, as other pro scouts. Yeah. Cause he's a nickel who was productive and has pretty good length and was generally healthy. So, um, he seems like somebody who's definitely going to be in a camp next year, whether he gets drafted or not. Well, he plays bigger than he looks when
0: you go talk to him, doesn't he? When when yeah. you saw him that first time last spring, you're like, hmm, that's it's not what I pictured. But he he doesn't play like that at all. I thought he had a thought he had a great season. There's some dates of note coming up here: March 7th, start of spring ball, and the Notre Dame will take a little bit of a break for spring break. March 21st is going to be Notre Dame's pro day. That's about three weeks after the or two and a half weeks after the conclusion of the NFL Combine. And finally, November 23rd, John Bryce and Pete Sampson, the Irish at Army penultimate regular season game in Yankee Stadium. Long time yeah, coming we, in yeah, terms we, of an official we,
1: announcement. We, we, we've been talking about this for a while, all the way back into, uh, I know you and, and TP talked about it last summer. We talked about it on a fall podcast um, because I went ahead and made the early note that, um, Notre Dame will both open and close its season on the road, Um, and then in doing so to close its season, we'll go coast-to-coast the last two games of the year from uh, New York to L.A., and then you guys reminded me, hey, they did that once before and and, uh, played for a national championship, so I'm not going to talk about the travel, even though I think it's significant to go coast-to-coast in your season.
0: Very quickly before Pete answers, we talked about that weekly Pete (laughs) in 2018 how dumb it was oh and then of course they handled it I will say one thing the USC game now they had a lot of good receivers and Notre Dame played it but their 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 plan to allow the catch and and try to keep everything in front of them we did hear from Mike Elston after the season he said our legs were dead he said their front four who dominated all year that he just said we were dead going to that game and Jerry Tillery saved it if you recall
2: yeah uh yeah it's it will be a taxing schedule that way. Um, I don't think it will be a taxing schedule in the degree of difficulty of the opponents you're playing. Right. So if uh, if you're getting run down by army and Navy, then we've reached what are we even doing here territory, but, uh, (laughs) but uh, it's there's, I mean, if USC is up, which we don't know they will or won't be um, maybe that game is a little bit more difficult, you know, A&M it's the opener. That's fine. Um, it's a pretty soft game two through game 11 um, by Notre Dame standards. So maybe you can pace yourself a little bit, but um, nice to have finally have this question off the books uh, because it had gone on, I think months longer than anyone in Notre Dame would have liked.
0: And we should reiterate the reason it became a bigger deal in 18 for everybody listening. Syracuse was number 12 at the time. They might yeah. have been a paper number twelve and not a real number twelve, but I do believe that game brought a little bit more fan base angst than Army will
2: this year. And I mean, that. even Navy in San Diego, right? We I don't think we viewed Navy the way that we do now. Um, that was still like Navy pain in the ass Navy as yeah. opposed to yeah. uh, Navy name your score Navy.
0: Yeah, that was far different. You're right. That's off the heels of uh, and, and right before they had their best team too. And I'm going to recuse myself from this final part of the segment, but uh, our nation was weakened a little bit by the results of Super Bowl Sunday. I know that uh, Pete Sampson was a genial observer of that game, and John Bryce might have had a rooting interest or two. So uh, you guys can go ahead and take it away from there.
1: Heartened, absolutely heartened by the outcome of that game. I don't know who doesn't like resilience, Tim. Who doesn't like an overtime game that ends with the good guys winning? I have no idea what you were talking about, nor does my Twitter account reflect as such.
2: No, I was, John, I, I following you on Twitter, I, I had no idea you had such strong feelings um, yeah. about the Super Bowl. But it was, yeah, it was fun to fun to check that out. Great game. Um, advice to all you young coaches out there, know the rules. Make
1: sure your players know the rules as yeah. well. Now, yeah, I, I, like, that's... I like that he came back and, and on the one hand, he expressed ultimate confidence in his team. And on the other hand, he also backhandedly said he had no confidence that his defense would stop the Chiefs because he said, hey we wanted the ball third like not not first we wanted to make sure we got the ball third well that's great except for what happened because patty mahomes
2: yeah that's uh it's i i enjoy analytics as the as much as the next guy but patrick mahomes give flips the double bird to your analytics and here's the other yeah exactly plus
1: you make that plan and you don't know what the other side is thinking the chiefs have come out since then and said that um, they were prepared to go for two, had the right. Niners scored a touchdown and, and handled the extra point, that they already had a two-point play call. Yeah,
2: there's just something to be said for the Chiefs saying, we started planning for overtime in the playoffs in August, and the 49ers being like, what are the rules? I mean, that's that's, hey, uh, that's, that's a overtime, Shanahan. No. I mean, that's the kind of thing that stays with you forever and ever and ever and ever if you're Shanahan.
0: It does. They had enough players on the field, at least. But I did not know that, John Bryce, about the overtime. (laughs) They would have gone for two, and I would have had a little bit of a mini uh, attack right there had that happened, because that would have scared the living daylights out of me. I am going to only say one thing I wrote about on Monday Musings, and this is not hindsight at all. Third and four, the clock is running down to two minutes. I announced to my daughter, who is still awake, I had a sick son and my wife sitting there with me. It's like, they cannot... Pass once and kick a field goal here because you're either getting tied by Mahomes or losing in regulation. The best case scenario is they tied third and four, two running plays or at least one. Try to maintain possession of that football as long as you can. Unfortunately, that did not happen. And we'll be back with segment two, Burning Up the Boards. Welcome back to segment two, Burning Up the Boards. Our first question, we actually had about three or four on these. Coach Aguilar and Tram nw 28 This is for Pete Sampson first. With Chris O'Leary out, reports that Mickens will coach both the corners and safeties. Is there any worry that this is too many players to coach at once? And how difficult will it be for Coach Mickens to make sure both positions are getting the most out of him? And it's for Pete because Tram would like to say Pete. A few of his buddies are DePau grads, and he has had many great nights at Greencastle at the Dell House.
2: I have not had any good nights at the Dell House, uh, which isn't to say that I haven't had any nights at the Dell House. But um, I, you know, it is tricky for Mickens because I, I felt like. In college football today, I'd, I would, my ideal staff would have two coaches in the secondary. Um, it's, it's a passing game. Nickel is their base defense. Um, and it's, you're, it's not like offensive line where you're coaching five guys in a compressed space. You're coaching five guys, sometimes six on three quarters of the field. So I think, yeah, Mickens, whether that is a experienced, um, Analyst or intern or GA, I'm not really sure that it matters, but um, you know, I I'm not advocating somebody like Kerry Cooks for the job, but like there are plenty of secondary coaches out there who have been around the block um that can come in and just sort of help out if they if needed. And then I, you know, one of the things with the defense last year, um, I mean Al Golden liked to float around as is. Um, yeah. I think Max Bulla was sort of like the linebacker's coach already. Um and so I mean Golden is there as a resource for Mickens as well. Um but if if Golden had left and then you're hiring a new coordinator and then Mickens had to do the entire secondary, I'd, that might not be a great uh, great setup. But as it is, I think this could work.
1: Yeah, I think when when you look around the sport, there are several notable programs that that don't divide it up and especially When you have a a CEO type such as Al Golden, who's going to be freed up to be more involved in in all three levels because you have Max Buller going to be your full-time linebackers coach. I also think um, it's significant for the growth of Mike Mickens. This is a program we've heard Marcus Freeman speak on it candidly in press conference settings that believes Mike Mickens is going to be a defensive coordinator. This is another step in growing Mike Mickens' career. In addition to giving him a a new contract and a raise and keeping him around a little bit longer with those things. Um, And then I would say, much like they hired Trent Miles on the offensive side of the ball into a senior analyst position, um, not that you necessarily need it the same with Tim Brock over there, but it's smart to get an older veteran person in one of those spots. And I think you'll see Notre Dame try to get some older veteran people onto the defensive side of the ball and some of these analyst spots that are opening up. And then Notre Dame has had some solid retention in some of its analyst spots on the defensive side of the ball that's helped them. And then finally, um, you know, Marty Biagi has done some different things throughout his career. Um, So he's a guy that wants to be involved as much as he can be curious to see how his roles continue to grow within the Notre Dame football program. Um, And then your head coach is a defensive guy and um, who very obviously has trust in, in Mike Denbrock for the way he very aggressively went and hired Denbrock and Notre Dame gave him a four-year deal. So I think all those things um, combined allay any concerns for me overall about Mike Mickens running the entire secondary because he's viewed already as a, a defensive coordinator, a matter of when, not if. This is growing his career, and this is giving uh, him a new opportunity and giving
0: Al Golden more freedom. We've edited Prince 19s question down for a quick hitter. Spring football is just weeks away. Each of you, what is an un- unlikely headline? that would boost your optimism leaving spring ahead of the 2024 season. He also had likely headlines in there, but we're going to go unlikely only. Hmm. Um if if we
1: watch spring ball and i am like holy crap this offensive line is dominating every day, that would be that would be probably my most unlikely unexpected at this point in time. I think there's a lot of potential there, yep. but if we if we get through spring ball and especially a couple of those that we get to see the full sessions and we feel like the o-line is dominating I'd be pretty freaking surprised by that.
2: Yeah, I would I, I would just spin off and say like if the passing game was clicking, I mean if you're seeing receivers get separation, um, if you're seeing receivers run wide open, um, not I'm not encouraging coverage of busts by any means, but <laughs> we just didn't really see that last year. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I, I would say like the the tackles I mean, the guards could be pretty good, but it is Cross and Mills. And again, it's it's tough to be like, it's spring practice. Are Cross and Mills really going to take a lot of reps? Probably not. But, um, you know, if, if you see these wide receivers make competitive catches, um, it doesn't matter if they're going against um, Ryan Clark or Kennedy Urlacher or anywhere in between the the young to the old part of the secondary. Just give me some competitive catches uh, from the wide receiver group. That would be that would be encouraging to me.
0: I would, uh, I agree with the wide receiver part because of if, if something about Chris Mitchell being uncoverable, being better than they thought he was, that would be huge. But if we hear a coach say not like a, a writer headline, if we hear one like Al golden, Max Bulla say, I cannot believe the difference in Jalen Snead. And he and Kaiser together are really going to be something that would be that defense would go to another level for me. That would be shocking. Cause I mean, you know, you can say that about every young player, Osbury or Bowen, but Jalen Steed's in his third year. This is it's, If Jalen Steed's going to have one of those situations where you say, I cannot believe how much better he is, his third spring, his third spring would be the time for it to happen. Next from Pin and Pull, where does Notre Dame rank among its peers with analysts on staff? We just started touching on this one. With the regular promotion of GAs and analysts to greater positions in and out of the program, would expanding the back bench be beneficial to Coach Freeman in the program?
1: Yeah, um, it would. Notre Dame <clears throat> has improved, but you know, I think a year ago, Notre Dame lost James Laurinaitis back to Ohio State because Ohio State was paying its analysts significantly more than Notre Dame. Now, it worked out because Notre Dame very quickly snatched up Max Bulla, and um, as Priester alluded to last week on the pod, uh, again, we're beating a dead horse at this point or banging the drum too much people are really freaking excited about max bola so it's worked out well for notre dame but yeah notre dame lags behind notre dame does not have the phalanx of analysts that kirby smart has at georgia or even that billy napier has at florida or that nick saban always had at alabama that mike elko is getting to have at texas a&m that brian kelly is having at um lsu so notre dame definitely lags behind in that regard they're getting better I would also point to the fact, and and I didn't realize this, I knew it was smaller than most, but I was on the phone <clears throat> with an SEC personnel person yesterday and um, talking about some movement there in the SEC because they're just raiding one another's directors of personnel and there were SEC teams interested in Chad Bowden this cycle. Um, and he said, well, how big is Notre Dame anyway? And I said, I don't know a handful of people. It's grown, but it's not very big. Well, he looked at the website while he's talking to me and he goes, wow, they've only got seven people. And he was like, we have 13 full-time, and I don't feel like we have enough. So when you talk about Mm -hmm. Notre Dame recruiting and personnel having seven people in their SEC programs with 13, 15, pushing 20 in their personnel departments, how much does that make a difference at the end? I'm not entirely sure because I think this staff headed by Marcus Freeman is really good in their evals. But I think it has to to play some role when you're relying on – more and more students and less full time professionals. It has to have an impact. I don't know if that impacts Notre Dame not getting some of those um, coveted defensive tackles that everybody's talking about, but I don't think more staff would hurt Notre Dame's pursuit in that regard.
2: Yeah, it's this definitely feels like it's an around the margins uh, conversation about Notre Dame football and college football in general. Like I don't, I don't think that analysts are winning you a national title or not, but it would. I mean, it could help. Um, I remember talking to Harry Heastan about this after I think Ed Orgeron came up and talked. And I was, he's, I was just he CSAN, like, what did you want to know from Orgeron? He's like, what the heck do you do with all your analysts down there? Um, cause he, he was a believer that, I mean, you can have all these extra people in your offices, but if you don't know how to manage them efficiently, it's a, just not only it can be a neutral thing, it can be a negative. Um, and so, I don't know enough about like what all these guys' roles are um, to say whether it would be a huge boost or not, but my sense is that um, of, of the things you hear Notre Dame coaches push for, more analysts really isn't very high on the list.
1: I would I, One thing I would return to really quickly here, and it may have been the, the first of Georgia's back-to-back national titles, but there was a year there where Georgia in its analyst positions had Will Muschamp, um Matt Luke and Mike Bobo as senior analysts. And I would contend, especially as you're a team that's very clearly headed to the playoffs, having former head coaches in those senior analyst roles able to do as much advanced scouting on your potential playoff opponents as possible has to be a tremendous asset for your program. I believed that then. I believe it now. I think that's why bringing back Trent Miles uh, can potentially be very good for the Notre Dame offense in this transition. That's why I think uh, adding some older seasoned people on the defensive side of the ball into some analyst roles remains key. So, um, yeah, you have to know how to manage them. And, and, and But how much do you have to manage them if you're hiring seasoned professionals who have been head coaches? They know what the hell to do in those scenarios.
0: yeah that was my my point i was gonna follow up before bryce illustrated it was depends on who you're hiring is those analysts right i mean if you're hiring an analyst that can help you massively with some scouting or in some ways of guidance i think that's different than hiring the next up-and-coming analyst because you don't know he's up and coming until you find out he works for you two-parter here it's about recruiting play like a champ seven now that the 24 signing period is officially closed what is your take on the recruiting operation under freeman has he met your expectations or exceeded them and it's related. Spider-Man 45 says, are there any specific areas where Freeman can drastically improve or is incremental improvement more likely? I would assume incremental improvement is the next step because drastic improvement is not something you just...
2: no you can't snap your do. fingers and just be yeah. like, all right, drastic improvement, yeah. done. Um, I think recruiting has basically met Expectations, um, but maybe just barely considering how high they seem to be when Freeman was hired. I don't I don't think he has hit this like fevered pitch of recruiting, um, which I think we all thought was possible. The goalposts have moved quite a bit in college football since he was hired, um, you know, with NIL and the portal and, and whatnot. So that it makes it difficult to sort of do apples to apples. Um I've always felt like if Marcus Freeman was Notre Dame's head coach in 2015. Recruiting would look a ton different than it did uh, at Brian with Brian Kelly at a similar time. So I, I think he's done a, I think where I've probably been more impressed with him um, than high school recruiting is portal recruiting. I think they're doing a great, I think they're doing a great job with that. and, And that has exceeded my expectations. Um, but the high school recruiting I, I think has been better, but not not blowing me out of the water.
1: i don't I don't have the depth of knowledge pertaining specific to, to Notre Dame recruiting as as what you two guys have. So, um, I feel like my comments are measured because of that. I wholly agree with you, Pete, that they've been uh, especially considering some of the restraints they have in dipping into the transfer portal. I think they've been pretty elite with with the work that they've done in the transfer portal. Uh, getting arguably the two most high-profile sought-after quarterbacks each of the past two years, also consistently finding uh, really good place kickers out of the portal, which is an incredibly important aspect uh, for the job, especially uh, when you have a smaller margin for error in terms of winning and losing, and and Notre Dame's still kind of in that mix. Um, And then high school recruiting this most recent class, uh, you guys, again, have much better knowledge than I do, I think, it's maybe considered the best since like 2012 or 2013. I think I saw like 19 um, top, top 250 players or top 300 players was the most they had signed in, in the modern era of recruiting rankings. Um, so I think in that regard, it's been really good. I also think, again, as we just outlined from the previous question, some of the constraints they work against, not having the large recruiting staff, um, not having the lavish NIL spending I think all of those things, what Notre Dame has still done to, have, at some point or another, been ranked number one in the recruiting rankings three consecutive years, even if they don't close there, you've got to be doing something right to be mm-hmm. ranked there at any point. So some of that makes them exceed my expectations a little bit, but I also don't think they've met their ceiling.
0: You know, I think uh, if you include the portal, I, I wouldn't say they've exceeded expectations because I thought there would be, if you want to nitpick, I thought there'd be more KVAs each cycle. Yeah. That level with Marcus Freeman. Does that make, does that make sense? Or you're going to, yeah, you're going to no, where you. at this point you boy, you had to hang on to him. Remember? I thought you could have three of those and you don't absolutely have to hang on to everybody at the end of it. So I thought, I be, mean,
2: it's like, I thought they would have a Keeley and a Bowen. Yes. Right. You know, that's that, that I thought would be more the norm where there would be, you'd be averaging one and a half five-star guys. And I'm not talking about like, Hey, they're five-star on one network, but not the other, like, of the 25 dudes in the country, Notre Dame was going to be getting one of those every year, if not two. Um, and I don't, they're not quite at that frequency.
0: But to piggyback the portal part, I mean, three of their 12 best players last year on the football team were from the portal. Reasonably speaking, two of the 12 should be this year. And we don't even know about some of the other guys. I was thinking like, you know, Chris Mitchell, Riley Leonard, yeah. in terms of their top players, he's improving his team every year. That's the key. JJB was a one-year, four-and-a-half star for Notre Dame. That's the most important thing you can get. I mean, that 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 is really – portal recruiting is a huge part of it because you're not – you're keeping less than 50% of your class for sure. I did a study on this. It'll be coming out going forward, and it has been that way for the past five years. These two are related questions as well from ND15Irish. At this point, looking very far ahead, is it reasonable to say ND needs to go 11-1 and to feel confident for a playoff spot next year? Because of the schedule, I think he means. And Michael Kolitz adds, based on re- recent podcasts, you guys seem very optimistic about next season. Some may say too optimistic. What is your sober worst case assessment for wins and losses?
1: I don't think eleven and one is requisite. I think ten and two gets Notre Dame into the playoffs. Ten and two, eleven and one, Notre Dame hosts the playoff game. Right. Ten and That's two, true. you wonder if Notre Dame has to travel for the playoffs. But I still think Notre Dame gets in at 10-2, and again, especially when they're going to play a very high-profile SEC team, now a a very high-profile Big Ten team in USC, Um, Florida State coming off of uh, its great season, Louisville being a surprise team last year. It's by no means uh, the gauntlet that Notre Dame has had the past couple of years, but it's still um, a respectable schedule with no FCS programs on there and um no I don't think that I don't think that Notre Dame has to go 11 and 1 I think it does have to go at least 10 and 2 and I think that the season would be fairly characterized as a disappointment if Notre Dame uh goes less than 10 and 2 in the regular season
2: yeah I 10 and 2 last year I don't know if they would have made it um Last year was kind of a funky year where we had more undefeated teams at the end than we usually do. Um, so it's like, I don't, I don't think you would feel confident um, at 10 and two making it, but you probably would. Uh, I agree. You know, if they're 11 and one, they're hosting, like that's a lock. Um, 10 and two, you're, you're on the, I think you're certainly on the road. At that I think point. you're on the road but, for sure um, as well. If they don't make the playoff next year will be a failure of a season. Like, I you just enter that into the discourse now. I don't I don't think that like last year, it's like you wanted to make the playoff and you didn't, and like you kind of felt like okay, the season was it didn't feel like the season was a success, but it didn't feel like it was a failure either. It was kind of in this weird gray area because they won the bowl game. I don't think there's gonna be gray area next year.
1: The reason why I would think that Notre Dame potentially could host a playoff game as a 10 and 2 team. Uh, would be simply because with these conference expansions, I don't think there's going to be those undefeated or Mm one-loss teams at the end. When you've Mm -hmm. got the uh, Oklahomas and Texases now in the SEC, when you have the Big Ten changing its landscape so entirely, and Michigan losing, as you already noted, Pete, 18 Team guys to the uh, combine, not to mention the majority of their coaching staff and other players who aren't being invited to the combine. I just think there will be more upheaval in college football next year. I think there will be far more ten and two teams than twelve and zero or thirteen and zero or fourteen and zero teams, and that's why I think Notre Dame potentially could host. They they wouldn't be in all likelihood above an eight seed, and then would be going on the road again the ver- the very next week. But I do think at ten and two, Notre Dame would have a potential. To host based on how the rest of the sport shakes out.
0: Last year's ten and twos in order were Missouri, Penn State, Ole Miss, and Oklahoma. I mean, if Notre Dame was ten and two, I'd like to think they'd be ranked ahead of Penn State, but Penn State was ranked tenth there. Um, so interesting to look at this. Like the the four in front of those teams that went won eleven games and twelve games. Like Oregon dropped three spots, Ohio State dropped a spot, Georgia dropped five spots, which is by the way insane. Now that I think about it, <laughs> and uh, Florida State dropped a spot in front of them. So. 10 and two um, would have been surging Notre Dame beating Clemson. They might've gotten in, right? I mean, you could take 10 and two over Penn state, Ole Miss and Oklahoma's 10 and two last year.
2: Yeah. It's just, the problem is like, if you're 12th, you're not making it. If you're 11th, you might not make it there either. Um, That's, that's the pro like, I don't, I think they will be in the top 12 of the AP poll at 10 and two, um, but that might not get you into the playoff. Um, I didn't, I, you know, John made an interesting point about like maybe fewer undefeated teams. I think the the way that conferences have reimagined divisions uh might play a part in that too because you're not going to have Ohio State versus Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game anymore. Um you'll have Michigan versus Ohio State potentially or you know you will you won't have somebody is going to like every conference championship game should look a little bit more like the SEC conference championship game where it's a great team versus a great team. And there's going to be peril for the loser, as Georgia found out last year. Um, you know, and there's there's not going to be these cakewalks. Uh, somebody else is going to be taking a loss along the way, um, and maybe that helps Notre Dame because they don't play in one. By the way, not to beat a dead horse here, but Georgia
0: dropped five spots by losing the SEC <laughs> championship game to Alabama. <laughs> what are we doing here? That's a what are we even doing here moment? Are you kidding?
1: Yeah, and and, and again to reiterate, that's why Jack Swarbrick so quickly agreed to have Notre Dame never able to get a bye in its present iteration as one of the top four seeds because it doesn't have to play that championship game. And it would get two weeks, um, and they still could host somebody. And and the more you talk to Notre Dame people, the more they really want to host somebody in South Bend the second weekend of December um, and hope that the the weather is not like it's been most of this week, which is sunny
0: and up near 50. Plus the UMass Notre Dame independent national Nash- er, uh, conference championship game would not be that fun to watch in Indianapolis, to be honest with you. So I think you got to avoid that as much as possible. Next from Irish McCarthy. What are your thoughts on Audrick Estime in the NFL? Do you think he can match the same success Kyron has achieved so far in his young career? And let's maybe remove the fact that Kyron Williams <laughs> could have led the league in rushing this year and just say that Kyron Williams had a really good uh, third year and a very good second year.
2: Uh, I, I think he can be an NFL back for a while. I don't think he would have the success that Kyron would have, just because Kyron is a uh, all-purpose back and Audric is not. Um, but I could think I could see Audric having at least I don't know four or five-year NFL career, which is above average for a running back. Um, I mean, I was thinking about like Notre Dame running backs who have had uh, good NFL careers recently. There haven't been a lot of them. Um, you know, Kyron Williams is doing one right now. Theo Riddick was a lot Riddick, like Kyron he Williams.
0: Was, he was all purpose. You're right, Riddick. Yeah, was um, all purpose.
2: It's like you got to be able to do everything in the NFL. You know, is Audrick Estime going to help you on special teams? I, I don't know. Um, yeah, you know, it wasn't something he was really asked to do at Notre Dame. So, um, you know, he's got his his strengths are really really strong, um, but I don't think he probably has the the roster versatility that like Kyron Williams offers.
1: I think in a time where we're seeing the the running back position a bit de-emphasized in the NFL and uh also players working on cheaper contracts, I think that can help benefit Audric Estime. I think obviously that five year mark is the key. The five year mark is what you need to get your pension from the NFL. And I think Audric Estime is the type um who, if it means carving a role and ensuring his place on the team, I can see him being on kickoff coverage. I can see him embracing being on kickoff coverage the way the guy likes contact and and the fact that he's uh, deceptively athletic. So, um, yeah, he's not going to be Kyron Williams because Kyron Williams catches the ball so well. He blocks surprisingly well for his size, and then he has top-end speed. But I still think Audrick Estimé carves a role.
0: I think Kyron's just so hard to get a handle on tackling. He's a really difficult guy to tackle in space. I actually – I think Estimé – can have a very good NFL career. My, my question for Estime, after watching him for a couple of years and he got better at this, is you can't have Audrick Estime on your NFL team if he can't be the guy that you turn to to pick up third and one and third and two. I mean, he got a lot better. He he actually struggled with that two years ago in his sophomore year. He And then they went to Jabron Payne this year. And I know Dylan McCullough likes having roles for people, but Estime started taking that role, and he has to be the guy that can pick that up. I mean, that's definitely something having to do with it's not contact balance. He has that. I guess it's just an innate ability to pick that up. But boy, if you're having that guy on your four-person, five-man four, running back crew, he has to be able to pick that up.
1: Yeah, I mean, look at look at the Baltimore Ravens when they had uh, still – when Dobbins was back briefly healthy and they were still using Gus Edwards. Um, I believe that's to make and have a Gus Edwards-type role in the yeah. NFL.
0: Next question from Hadden, Hayden Adams Z. What's the appropriate celebration for back-to-back ACC men's basketball wins for the first time in two years – And what if they somehow stretch that streak to three? I'd like to point out they may be favored to stretch that streak to three. John Bryce.
1: Yeah, and they they get a week off before having to go to Louisville, which um, Louisville doesn't have (laughs) any reason for hope. With Notre Dame basketball, you can point to some foundational elements. You can point to so many first-year players on this team making a mark that is going to help them in the future. Then you can point to the development of a J.R. um as also encouraging. You don't have that at Louisville, so I do think they'll be favored, um, or at worst, it'll be a push. I would expect Notre Dame to have a great chance to win that game. Notre Dame will be better coached in that game. Notre Dame will be yes, more, they will. Disciplined, <laughs> more disciplined in that game, and Notre Dame will be more bought in in that game. What is the um, appropriate celebration? Um, I don't know. My, I worked the game last night. And uh, my wife, who most folks know works for Notre Dame, she stayed up to watch the game and she's like, yay, they won again. <laughs> that's the text message I got. <laughs> was that the appropriate? Like it wasn't an audio text, so I don't really know how excited she was. But she did text me and say, yay, they won again. So that that's the celebration insight that you get.
2: I think the appropriate celebration would be instead of being the second to last question on the podcast maybe it could be the third or fourth question in the podcast that's <laughs> just moving moving up the the relevancy of burning up the board segment two. so that that's, uh, what,
1: that's what we'll do with the baseball question next week if the Irish take, if the Irish take 2 of 3 at Rice this weekend we'll have an earlier in the pod baseball question
0: yes about and that? I will say Louisville will not move the needle for the basketball team on the podcast, but at Syracuse at noon, the following Sunday, the 24th, you make it four games, take out Syracuse in the carrier dome. That moves up Pete Sampson. And then people will not want me to go cover the Wake Forest game. one. <laughs> that's that's true. Our final question, it's a doozy from Terry Benedict. Do you still consider Notre Dame football players as student athletes?
2: Why would you not? Yeah, I think Tim, you. I'm not going to. Tim, you go ahead on this one because I think you you had the the best way to phrase this.
0: Yes, I have been hammering home the point of needing a general manager and the fact that you can't trust any player to be there anymore. So you have to recruit over them, and you have to have hard conversations with them. You may not have a spot on the team next year, but you can stay in school. And people don't like that. However, you can't even function as a football team anymore because every single Player on the team is a transfer risk going into the offseason. Just the way it is. Except for Hartman last year, once he stayed and he was gonna stay. If you ask a freshman, sophomore, or first semester junior at Notre Dame, if they are student athletes, let them show you what they have to do all day at Notre Dame. And you will <laughs> see the definition of a student athlete. Now, and this is good, and it should have been better and accepted a long time ago. If you ask a senior, who, especially if you're enrolled early, what his class schedule is, it's going to be really light and he's going to have a good amount of money if Notre Dame still wants him on the football team as a senior, because they don't want you there if you're not good anymore, which is a business. Those guys don't have the same level of student athlete, but they have already achieved what they had to achieve at Notre Dame. It's like the graduate students. What are you majoring in? I hope your answer, unless you're a unique person like Sam Mustapher, building a robot is nothing. I'm here to play football. That's what you should be doing when you've graduated from Duke or Notre Dame or Northwestern becoming a better football player. So graduate students don't have to be student athletes, but the first three years, they definitely still are at Notre Dame.
1: And I would just very quickly, shameless plug, wrote a feature this week on Sebastian Domenico, the Notre Dame tennis star from Slovenia. And um, he talked to me, he said, in my home country, I'm used to missing school as much as I want. It was no problem to miss school to go play tennis. He goes, now, I have to balance. I have to be in school. And so his recent travel, and it's really a pretty fascinating story. I'll go quickly through it. He played matches in Lexington, Kentucky, for his Notre Dame team um, earlier this month at the end of January as well. Got home from, from those matches off a bus ride late at night around 10 or 11 p.m. on a Saturday night. Took car service to O'Hare to fly O'Hare to L.A., to Hong Kong, then into Guangzhou, China, to compete in the Davis Cup because he's on the Slovenian national team. Spent the week in China competing. Upset, who is now the number 47 ATP-ranked player in the world, got on a plane and flew back home and was in classes Monday morning at 9 a.m. That's real. And this guy's already ranked. He just beat a professional tennis player, and he's talking about the rigors and the complete adjustment of being a Notre Dame student athlete. I realize the question was about football, um, but I just think that, yes, especially years one through three in Notre Dame football or any of the years basically in all the other Notre Dame sports, you're (laughs) absolutely a student athlete. I still remember Link Jarrett talking to me two years ago in that run to Omaha when they had guys sitting outside the hotel room being proctored for midterm exams during their baseball season on the road. That's phenomenal.
2: They are they are students, they're athletes, and if you're fortunate enough, you're also highly compensated. Um, you just know that's complete. that's a good that's a good thing, uh, a good change around Notre Dame. But uh, I, you know, Amalie, you made the best point. It's like if you go, if you followed, um, you know, like Kennedy Erlocker to class and just sort of oh, went through man. his day, if you feel like. What is this? What are you even asking him if I am a student athlete? Like I'm getting my butt kicked in the classroom on a daily basis. Like football is uh, not to paraphrase the Navy thing, but football is the easiest part of their day sometimes. So uh, yeah, they're very, they're very much still uh, student athletes.
0: I'm just glad you got easiest part of the day in for Notre Dame and not Navy or army. They're both on the schedule though. So you can use that a little bit. Yeah. I just, Pete and I have bristled for a long time at the whole, well, Carlo Calabrese, he's he's not taking enough classes. What do you mean? He graduated from Notre Dame. He doesn't have to take any more
2: classes. What are you what are you asking? Like, yeah, the uh the Matt Liner ballroom dancing thing. I know Northern people made fun of it. That was something to aspire to get to. Because he was a graduate.
0: People forget that. Yes. He had graduated from USC and chose not to go pro to come home and win his first national title because the other one didn't count. No offense to USC, but I can look at the books, it's not there. So yes, student athletes, and thankfully they are near professional football players when they are second semester seniors and uh, incoming graduate students, because that's how your football team becomes good. Incoming graduate students that are trying to become better pros. No more soapbox. That's it for this edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. We'll be joined by Tim Priester again next Thursday. Until then, for John Bryce and Pete Sampson, I'm Tim O'Malley. Thanks for listening.